The next thing you really need is a way of operating. Um, so, and this is a combination of how you organize your people and how you understand who your organization is. It's, I call it the, the heart of your brand. On this episode, I sit down with Sarah Olivieri, who's a nonprofit business strategist and former executive director. Now, Sarah runs the consultancy Pivot Ground and works alongside nonprofit leaders to help them build operating systems that maximize efficiency and produce greater impact. During our conversation, Sarah and I talk about everything from Brene Brown's book, braving the wilderness and how vulnerability and leadership is so essential and dig into her suggested method called the impact method and how that helps your organization build processes for improvement and design a truly an operating system to maximize your giving and impact as a nonprofit. Sarah is a wealth of knowledge and we dig into so much more during our conversation. So let's dive in. Sarah, I saw last week that you pivoted your typical training uh, that you typically or that you normally do and actually hosted a session to walk through Brene's Brown's book, Braving the Wilderness. Uh, first, I love Brene's work, so this stood out to me. And personally, it's impacted my own life greatly. But second, and more importantly, what sparked this shift and what can nonprofit leaders learn from Brene's research on vulnerability? Um, th- that's a really great, great question. Um, and it's really packed with a lot of kind of things that I hope will be revealing for people. Um, right. So Brene Brown is all about vulnerability. Um, I'm fortunate that I discovered the powers of vulnerability, um, you know, maybe sooner than most people and really embrace them. Um, so when she talks about it, it really, um, speaks to me, but in, um, a context of my own business, we are really in the process of running various marketing and communications experiments um, to understand how best to really engage with people. Um, so that's one, that's one reason why we're, we're just trying different things. Um, and this was a really vulnerable thing to try for me. I enjoy reading at this stage in my life, although there was a long period. Um, I went to the University of Chicago for college where we read so much. And I'm a relatively slow reader. I was just burned out for like 10 years. I didn't really read. Um, but in the last four years, I rediscovered reading. But I still read slowly. I t- I'm not always consistent in how quickly I read books. And so sometimes um, I've wanted to talk about books, but I felt I couldn't do it with any consistency. And this was just a moment where I was talking with my team um, and I just decided to try it. You know, put, put myself out there, try leading a discussion, um, see how it went. Um, I had recently read Braving the Wilderness. I previously read Daring Greatly. And I'm actually in the middle of reading Dare to Lead right now. Mm. And what I love about Brene, thinking about Brene's work in the context of my own work is I take a very um, process-driven approach to changing culture. And Brene is all about like the people and the culture. And so I feel like like... Um, and her work is incredible, but it's like we're coming at the same issues for as they relate to nonprofits from two sides of the situation. Um, so that's really helpful for me to think about 
um, the things she's saying and how I can better teach people the impact method, um, which I can tell you more about, um, but also how I can make sure that the impact method is really fitting a lot of those things because it's designed to promote a lot of the things that she says that you should be doing in an organization. Yeah. And first, there's a bit of inception there, right? Like you were vulnerable to kind of take a step out and do something different and unpack her research on vulnerability. So the irony is really interesting there. But I think you hit on something that I I, I, I found true as well with Brene's work is that it does help you think about your relationships with other people. And that directly impacts nonprofit leaders. I spent seven years helping to lead a nonprofit. And everything we did was about people, whether it was my team locally, or we were engaging with stakeholders and partners, or especially with our donors and how you can kind of understand how you build that relationship. But I think there's even a more uh, important application for vulnerability right now, because you know we're in the midst of one of the most significant crises that I've ever been a part of in our country and in our world right now with kind of the coronavirus and the pending market recession and just all the uncertainties for an indefinite period of time has really put a lot of people and a lot of organizations, specifically nonprofits, in a vulnerable position. And you work alongside nonprofits all the time and help them shape culture. So I'm curious how you're thinking about this and maybe advising clients as they navigate the current situation of vulnerability that we all are kind of sharing right now. Yeah. Um, So one of the things that I tell my clients who I work with one-on-one when we start our first session, and it's usually me guiding them through a structured form of team meeting that I'm teaching them how to do on their own. And the first thing I tell them is, listen, everything we're about to do was specifically designed to bring out the issues that you are facing, the challenges, your weaknesses, the hard spots. Um, so it's so you're we're going to come up with things that are not working right now, um, and that is a very vulnerable process. And I've intentionally designed it to um, expose the vulnerabilities of a team and an organization. Um, But the amazing thing is I I teach organizations this process, but I teach them to do this process at the very least every two weeks. And what happens is when you get used to being vulnerable every two weeks and you get used to addressing complicated challenges, challenges and issues that can only be solved by coming together and really working through them as a group, you are able to innovate. That's what's on the other side of that. That's the the gold that you get from digging into vulnerability. You're mining innovation. And that's what nonprofits need on a good day because I haven't met a nonprofit whose mission wasn't mission impossible. It wasn't one of the world's most complex and difficult problems to solve. And it's it's totally what you need today, right? Where things are moving fast and complicated. You need to lean in to coming together as a group um, in your organization and I being really crystal clear about what is the core issue going on here and getting creative about um, ideas for solving it. And part of that getting creative has to do with vulnerability as well because you have to create that space for your team to have ideas that are out of the box, that are not best practices. And as much as I believe in 
evidence and data-driven decision-making, you know, you don't get a best practice that tells you how to solve the thing that has never been figured out before. Like, it's a creative, untested idea that you're then going to have to go test and figure out if it worked. Yeah, it's like the Nelson Mandela quote. That's like, you know, it was impossible until it was done, you know, type thing. Like it always seems like that and then it's done. And then it's like, oh, you know, we figured it out. But how you bridge those gaps is the challenges nonprofits are facing every day. Absolutely. And it is through being vulnerable and creating space for meaningful conversations and meaningful, you know, space for new ideas to test out. Um, that you get to that place. And now more than ever. So what I'm telling clients now is they know how to do these meetings is, and we have a special meeting that's just for the issues. I say, do that every week, do it several times a week. If you've just shifted to from working in the office to working at home, you're going to have a ton of issues coming up. You need to mm. be meeting as a team and identifying what your issues are facing you right now, keeping you from moving forward and, cr- and creating a solution as a group to those issues. Yeah, and I think uh, to get a little bit more practical, if you could, Sarah, like uh, how, how do you actually facilitate that? Like, are, are you, are you, like you're, you've been an executive director before. And so like, what, what are you doing today, you know, on Wednesday, a week after, you know, everything kind of hit the fan? Like, are you sending out communications and scheduling the meeting? Like get a little bit more practical. So people that are like, I hear you, but like, how do I even get started? Like, I don't even know what to tell my team or how to coordinate with my team right now because I don't even know what's going on. Sure. Well, so many teams I found are at different stages in what they're used to as far as meetings. And there's so many teams who've had horrific meetings that they're like, ah, we don't want meetings. Um, So I'll just kind of, I'll let you (laughs) self-identify where you're at. If you, you should at the very least If you're the leader, executive director, or whatever director, leader, you need to say, we need to have a standing meeting. Um, Maybe it's weekly. If things are moving really fast for you, I suggest you have at least twice a week. And you need to just tell your team, you know, Mondays at 10 a.m., everyone's going to show up and we're going to meet for an hour. Um, You could do it on Zoom now so that you don't have to be in person. Um, And make it that you just put that as a standing meeting in your calendars now have people reschedule their other obligations, you know, pick a time that's going to work for them and then stick to that meeting. A couple rules of thumb, don't go over, you know, pick an hour, do it consistently, do that hour twice a week, but don't let the time run over unless that's what everybody really wants to do, but respect people's time. If you haven't finished solving the issue, pick it up at the next meeting. And otherwise there's a really simple structure to solving issues identify what your top issues are, like literally like go around the room and share whatever the top issues are, write them down. And then um, you're going to go and ask the group, which is the most important, the highest priority issue on the list um, right now. And agree as a group on the highest priority and then work on identifying a solution for that issue. for the rest of the meeting, if that's what it takes. Don't stop until the highest priority issue um, has a solution. And then all you're going to do is have one person volunteer or assign one person to be accountable for implementing that solution. 
um, with the rest of the organization or whatever that looks like. Yeah. And I think that like what I love about that advice is it's not just specific for right now. It's actually helpful regardless of the times, as you mentioned. And and it, and it, it, it parallels to another framework that I've used often um, called like the sprint framework that came out of like the Google design group, which is kind of related to how you can leverage design thinking to solve problems. But it's, spending a lot of time on that problem identification stage i think is is the real bright spot of those things because a lot of times we want to quickly jump into solution mode as leaders when we might not even be clear on what the actual problem is or what the problem's problem is so that we're actually solving and applying energy to the right thing you know and i've even fallen into that trap personally in the past few days where i'm just jumping to solution mode when that was a little premature to really understanding what the underlying problems are. And I think that's what's so great about these types of frameworks that you're suggesting. And I know in your consulting, you've actually, you know, push a lot of focus on process and kind of being prescriptive in your process. And you've created a method called the impact method. And I'm curious if you could kind of, you know, you've touched on it, but could you walk us through what that actually is and how it helped helps organizations pivot how they think about operations and fundraising? Kind of reveal a little yeah. bit more about that approach that is kind of at the core of your consulting. Absolutely. Um, I call it a framework. It's not, a, or an operating system. It's not, a, it's not an online tool. It's not an app. It's a set of processes and tools that you can use to um, set up the organizational operational structure of your nonprofit. And it consists of three core areas, which are three core concepts that um, you really, any one, working on any one of these will improve the way you're doing things, but it's working on all three that creates a synergistic um, experience that is what really will propel you into thriving and eliminate the burnout. Um, so you really have to do all three and then the burnout and overwhelm goes away and the amount of impact you can make is exponentially increased. So the first thing that, ever, and this is true for every business, um, but this is designed specifically for nonprofits. The first thing that you need is a process for improvement. Um, you might call this iteration. Um, there's different things to call it. I started calling it a process for improvement um, after I'm also an avid sailboat racer, and I was reading a book on racing tactics. And the person said, the team with the best process for improvement will win. And that's so true in nonprofits. There's a lot going on. So we can just assume, we don't have to wait for issues to come up to schedule a meeting. I promise you that if you have a meeting every two weeks, there'll be issues to talk about at every meeting. We'll just assume there are going to be issues. Um, and so you need a way to continually improve um, and continually adapt to the changing world around you in order to sometimes just maintain consistency, in order to remain true to yourself, you need to adapt to changing contexts so that you can continue to be yourself as an organization. So that's number one, a process for improvement. And in the impact method, really what that is, is um, two types of, three types of meeting, an issues only meeting, a sprint planning meeting, that's where you plan out what you're doing in the next two weeks, and a cycle planning meeting, that's where you plan out what you're doing in the next 60 days and actually build out your, um, 
your impact strategy, which is our version of a strategic plan. That's right. You're doing your strategic planning every 60 days. And, um, and then another critical piece is making sure that you take um, scheduled respite, whether that's completely time off or just a break from aggressively pursuing goals and activities. Um, so that's the process of improvement. The next thing you really need is a way of operating. Um, so, and this is a combination of how you organize your people and how you understand who your organization is. It's I call it the, the heart of your brand um, because you want to make sure that you're attracting people to your organization who are a good fit, who are well aligned. Um, and the way the uh, structure of your organization really impacts fundraising is as soon as you look at it in this kind of prescriptive way that every nonprofit has certain functions that they need to account for, um, I've had many nonprofits tell me that their biggest problem is money, and I have yet to find the nonprofit that that was actually true for. Usually their biggest problem is how they organize their people and how they think about what those people need to be doing. And in almost every case where money is such a big issue and they can't seem to get a grip on fundraising, it's because they didn't uh, address fundraising as a core function of their organization. They left it kind of hanging out with the board or, you know, with a volunteer or a very underpaid staff member. They didn't really take it as a serious core function that needed to be accounted for. Um, so that's the how you're organized. And then the third piece is um, what is, where are you going? What's your direction and, and how do you have a plan of action for getting there? And in the impact method, we have the impact strategy, which is the strategic plan updated every 60 days. And we actually have a visual layout. And I do encourage nonprofits to use a specific digital tool that lets us change how we're looking at the plan because that helps us run a few kind of um, just processes that help us visually double check that we've made a realistic plan. Um, and then the other piece is our action plan, which we call the CAP. Um, and that those are what are we doing in the next two weeks and making sure that everybody knows what they're working on and we're kind of tracking um, the load on everybody's plate. But everything in the impact method is tied together with that process of improvement and those, um, those meetings that you're going to have to come together as a team and make sure that all the elements are on track and happening and updated if they need to be. Yeah. And I think, I, I think what's brilliant about this is the framework can be applied in so many different ways. It, it removes the specificity of like, oh, well, our organization does this and our organization does that. Um, and the nuances there and actually says, no, this is actually a process or a framework that you can leverage to reorient your organization and actually point in the right direction. And I like how the one thing you talked about was like, obviously, the people and the process side or the operating system. I know I was working for a nonprofit doing consulting and we actually rewrote this idea of like, what is our OS? Um, similar to like an mm -hmm. iOS or something like that. And it was directly related to this. Like, what's the people that we have? How are they organized? How are we structuring that? And then what's the process for coordination of those people towards specific priorities? And so it's kind of the people, the process, and the priorities. And it was like, how do we orient the system to go in that direction? And what was revolutionary about it wasn't the fact that like all of a sudden we began like, you know, cycling in the right direction. It was that we had visibility into what the reality was of our current system. So in the, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like before I was reading something over the weekend, it was like before you should change something or before you take down a wall, 
you should probably know why that wall was put there in the first place. And I think a lot of times these frameworks actually just help us understand what the current reality is because we lack visibility into that, which then allows us to build off of that and continue and push forward into a new system. Um, so I think it's helpful. Yeah, that is is that is so well said. That's exactly it. And so much of um, what the impact method is, is a way to um, efficiently and without taking a ton of time, put on paper or on the computer screen what you're doing. Because you can't, you know, just magically, I can't magically put what's in my head into your head without really writing it down. It doesn't work that way. So if you need a group of people to work together, you really have to put it on paper. And the process of doing that is very revealing. Usually, you know, it it is a process where we think we have it completely clear. And as soon as we try to write it down, we realize, wow, that's really not clear at all. Yeah, or it's not easily transferable. <laughs> Those are kind of the yeah. two things. Yes. You're like, oh, it's actually <laughs> yeah. not transferable to other people or I can't visualize it in a way that actually could be distributed. And I think especially now, like I've been working at home since 2015, but even prior to that, so about five years. And now organizations have moved because of requirement to like mostly work distributed. And I think the challenge that I've seen in distribution distributed teams, which most teams are in general, but just the fact that now we're forced into it, is that kind of this documented strategy or the documented communication on how things work becomes so much more important. So like written communication, documented communication, when people are distributed, because you can't rely on meetings or like spontaneous, you know, evolution or kind of transferable nature of your messages, like it has to be documented in planning. So this type of thing, like the impact method is actually almost more important than ever now for organizations to, to lean into. Is that, would you say that's true as well as you've kind of looked at organizations? Yeah. Yeah, because we need to be able to coordinate. There's certain things about the digital world, right? It's, you don't, you're not going to bump into your Google Drive files accidentally walking on the way to the cooler. (laughs) Like we have to have some structures that bring this digital stuff that can disappear into our, into our site, into our vision. That's one of the reasons of that. Another reason is the internet has just made the world change faster. And um, a lot of our kind of older methods that used to work don't work because they don't move at that speed. Um, and so it's really, and if you're not moving at the speed that the rest of the world is moving, that's just not going to work very well. Absolutely. And I think it's one of the natures, I think Harvard Business Review talks about it as like nimble organizations or organizations that can actually run through cycles faster than the standard cycle that used to exist. And so this kind of like even quarterly or annual planning or, you know, biannual planning or just like, oh, we have these retreats where we go. Like that doesn't work anymore. And so as yeah. a nimble organization, like the current digital world requires you to be more nimble. And so nimble is referenced in how fast you run through those cycles effectively. And so your ideas around two weeks of sprinting, cycle planning in every 60 days is so essential because so many strategic plans like get developed over a 12-month period of time and then they just sit on a shelf and build dust. Like no one actually knows by the end of that period of time what, you know, 
the heck's in that? Um, and right. so this idea of increasing, anyway. <laughs> increasing revolution. <laughs> yeah, especially now, right? Like organizations that are like, we just finished our annual planning. It's like, well, your annual plan is complete garbage right now because like the world we live in is changing so fast. And I think today's donor and today's world really requires you to adopt a different pace for your cycles. But I do want to highlight one thing too, because I think sometimes these conversations get into like speed and fast and push and drive and like iteration and all of these different things, which isn't untrue, but you highlight something in your impact method around respite. And I thought this was such an interesting aspect of the impact method and the fact that you layered importance onto it. So could you unpack a little bit more on how you encourage organizations to build process around that? Because I also noticed over the past few days, like on LinkedIn, you've even been intentional about posting content that kind of encourage nonprofit leaders and others to really stop and reflect, like celebrating success or identifying motivational anchors, which I love and absolutely agree with. So I'm, I'm curious how you would advise people to build respite into their process, even in the midst of times that just feels like you don't have the time to do that. Um, well, I'd say, you know, my first and hard live, a few hard lines around that. One is overworking yourself is extremely inefficient and we don't want to be inefficient. The, the key to speed and, and being effective and fast means one, we're not going to rush. Fast is not rushing. Rushing leads to mistakes and those mistakes inevitably are going to take more time than it would have taken if you moved a little slower. Um, so rushing is too fast. Uh, I think there's a saying that p- different people have said, but like, um, you know, fast is smooth and smooth is slow. Um, so the speed at which you can move without making mistakes, that's your fastest effective speed. Don't go faster than that. This is a lesson that's, that sailboat racers get to learn over and over again because it's such a complex thing and the cost of making a mistake will cost you a race. Um, so don't make a mistake is kind of the key thing here. So we don't want to go too fast. Um, there is an upper limit to how quickly we can move and maintain effectiveness. Um, we need to be innovating, right? You'll hear me say this. I think I'm saying it more and more recently. Nonprofits have to be innovating. It's like they are the type of business who should be the best at innovating. And unfortunately, I think many nonprofits have been terrible at innovating and for a number of reasons, which we don't have to go into now. But um, but in order to innovate, you need brain space. You need to have time for your brain to like take everything that's been going on and and generate new ideas and you during this rest during the respite is that brain space and you will come out of a respite with so many solutions in your head and if you don't take that time to respite you won't have the solutions and you won't be able to innovate so i think you know one of the secrets to making sure you take your respite is to realize that it is not a break. It is actually a fundamental tool you're going to use to be effective and efficient. So don't, you know, don't beat yourself up because, oh, we can't stop. You must stop if you're going to succeed. So that's kind of the the psychological side of it. And the other side of it is we schedule it in. So we work in 60-day cycles. It's two months. 
We break them into four two-week sprints, and that leaves four weeks left over a year. And so that's what we decided would be the mandatory respite, and you're just going to put it in your calendar, whether you take a full week um, at a time. For some organizations, uh, we encourage them to shut down completely if that's possible. If not, just kind of go on, you know, we're not going to be aggressively working on goals. We're just kind of going to do the minimum. Or you can do it where like, you know, some of your team take a respite at different times, like, uh, but make sure that everybody is getting four weeks of respite a year at least and put it in the calendar and build that understanding that the respite is not time off. The respite is part of succeeding. The respite is part of the work and do it. Then, you know, if it's in your calendar and your calendar says respite and you're like, I got to go, you say, no, respite is part of the work. I'm going to do the respite work. Yeah. And how I see it is, is like, you're, you're kind of designing, you know, a meal where it's like each of the ingredients, though different or maybe larger or takes more effort in building that kind of perfect meal, each ingredient is essential. Even if it does seem small, when you're really getting into the details of creating something, you know, full of flavor. And so that respite is an essential ingredient. And I think that's what makes you know this framework you've created actually really powerful is that all the ingredients actually play together to kind of create this brilliant like orchestra or this brilliant you know full flavored meal which is which is pretty powerful for nonprofit leaders to be thinking about even now like in the midst of crisis it's like how are our processes actually helping us navigate regardless of what's going on and so this is such an untimely yeah. thing even though it's a long-term thinking thing and we feel very short or short-sighted right now. But it's those that I think can zoom out in the midst of chaos that are going to be the leaders that lead their organizations to be better off through times um, like this. So uh, as, we, as we close, I wanted to get a little bit more you know, prescriptive and pragmatic. And maybe the solution is simple, but I, I'm, I'm curious just what you, two to three must you would advise listeners to zoom on zoom in on as they wade through the rest of 2020 you know what should nonprofit leaders be focused on this month what about the next three months or 60 days in your case um, or even just the rest of the <laughs> year I'm, I'm curious kind of practically like what should people be doing right now um there's a few things i think you know I wanted to just think about, you know, in this moment of coronavirus and drastic changes, um, you know, what, what does leadership mean? And I think one of the roles of being a great leader, especially a top type leader, um, if you are that kind of visionary or charismatic type um, leader in your nonprofit, you play a really important role in keeping your team together. And some simple pragmatic things are um, be that person who verifies information. Don't share information with your group that you haven't verified. And if people are sharing information that sounds scary, be that person who digs in and verifies whether or not it's true. And if it's not true, come back to your team and say, hey, this information is not actually true. That's, I think, an important role that we're not usually in, but in, a, in this specific time with the coronavirus, be that voice in your team that says, we're going we're gonna to focus on, you know, we're going to be, this is true, this is not true. We're going to focus on um, tangibles that are true. Because if you go into the realm of not true, you're going to get lost because that's an infinite realm. Um, 
So be that for your team. Otherwise, you know, I think very practically, if you aren't meeting as a team weekly, start meeting as a team weekly. And if it's more than two people or you don't have a practice of, of communicating regularly, have your team meet, meet every week. If you're new to working from home, have a 15-minute stand-up meeting on Zoom where your team all comes together and just checks in at the beginning of the day and has the opportunity to ask any questions that might stop them from moving forward with their day. Um, so this is the time to lean in and solve issues as a group, for sure. Um, you know, if you're, if you're feeling like, oh my God, now we're throwing out our strategic plan um, and you think like, oh my God, maybe the impact method is for me, I can tell you that it is possible to have the impact method, your first round of it fully implemented in less than 30 days and you can actually sit down and create an impact strategy in as little as three to five hours with your team. So this is possible. And part of why it's possible is because you don't have to get it perfect. You just have to have a version that you can start working off of for the next 60 days. Um, and you have many opportunities to revise it. And changing times like right now is a time where we need to be revising and testing. Otherwise, I'd like to give some nonprofits some hope, right? So for those of you who've been told that digital fundraising, um, is, you know, way more, or digital fundraising or donor-based fundraising is way more effective or efficient than your big galas, and you're shifting your galas to online campaigns, you might have been pushed into this, and yes, you're going to experience a steep learning curve, but this is better for you in the long run anyway. So you're about to discover what can be a much more effective way of fundraising. Um, Another thing is if you in any way benefit from um, advertising, Facebook ads are on sale right now. Um, they are lower, lower cost than they usually are. So there are a lot of opportunities. Um, and I encourage, you know, every nonprofit, this is your moment to say, are we going to kind of freak out and shut down or are we going to lean in and get good at solving problems? If, and if you're freaked out about everything, that's, that is the thing. All you have to say is, are we going to get better at solving problems as a group? And if you focus on getting better at solving problems, you'll solve every problem that you need to solve very quickly. Sarah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's you know, brilliant advice from the top, you know, being a verifier of truth to meeting with your team, removing obstacles, getting stuff out of the way. And then just that idea of zooming out and really evaluating your process for solving problems, that's so essential. And your last point just now kind of brought us full circle on our conversation is it's okay to be vulnerable and say we need to get better or we don't know how to navigate this, but we can put practices in place or processes so that we can going forward. And that is the hope right? That is the hope. And so Sarah, I always appreciate your time. I always appreciate your encouragement and kind of optimistic view on how organizations can move forward in an effective and efficient way. So I'm really grateful for you sharing with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You'll also get the Responsive Fundraising Playbook, which includes 20-plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast.